Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Chamber Music Charleston, celebrating the return of live music gatherings and their 15th anniversary, with their season opener featuring violinist Rachel Barton Pine and more. September 28th at the Satilli Theater. For tickets, chambermusiccharleston.org. Support also comes from Brook Green Gardens, presenting the National Sculpture Society's 88th Annual Awards Exhibition, June 12th through August 22nd, and Summerlight Art by Night, Wednesdays through Saturdays until August 22nd. More at brookgreen.org. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. Hello and welcome to the third episode of Spoleto Backstage, your friendly and conversational fellow seating pod occupant to the 2021 Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. Don't worry, I'll let you have both armrests, and I didn't put on too, too much cologne. I'm Bradley Fuller, and on this episode, we'll have something of a show-and-tell, or tell-and-show, to be chronological about it. First, hearing the musicians provide a little background on what they're performing, and then the performances themselves. Two passionate, exciting works for violin and piano, and both romantic-era sonatas for that pairing of instruments, one by Robert Schumann and one by Camille Saint-Saëns. It's with the Schumann that we'll start. Here's Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series Artistic Director Jeff Nuttall sharing about the German composer and his late career violin sonata number one. This sonata, at near the end of his life, is it sort of distills the essence. It's it's classical. It's only three movements. Yeah, not four. But it's so deeply felt, uh, and it's so quirky and sort of arms and legs, and the transitions sort of jag together. It's just like, I don't know, I always think of it, it's really like hanging out with somebody who's really emotional and never holds back what they're saying and, and they go from topic to topic without oh man I'm really upset today and oh but did you see that puppy it, it was so lovely like it's I was just gonna say this, it's lifelike in a way because I mean, we're lifelike with a, and clumsy a crazy and... powerful person in, in, in a sense so I love playing Schumann and I love playing these sonatas with my friend Peja who we share the same passion and the same I think we we see it in the same sort of light the the not serious, if that's the word, because a lot of it's very serious, but it's it's never grounded. It's always it's the essence of human emotion distilled in music, and often not perfectly written for the instruments. You know, it's sort of yeah. quirky, um, but I I love it, and I find I always connect to it uh, emotionally in a way which I don't as easily with other composers. And I feel like. Schumann just has this certain poetic sensibility. I don't know exactly how to describe it, but just this kind of natural sense of poetry that for me always draws me in and, and is compelling, even if there are some of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you, I mean, I would start, if you want to discover what we're talking about with Schumann, I would start with Dichterliebe, the song cycle, uh, which is just so powerful and emotional, but you have the words to connect you to the emotions. So that it's a great starting spot. And then some of the, you know, his life was so... Um, 
well, problematic in so many ways, but he started out as this virtuoso pianist, and all the early piano music is incredible and crazy over the top, and, and then he messed up his hand. He tried to yeah. stretch out his hand, so he couldn't play. The last part of his life, he didn't play anymore, but he would go through these intense periods of compositional activity. For example, the, the chamber music, like a couple months where he wrote three quartets, piano quartet, piano quintet, well, actually, this violin sonata was apparently four or five days. Right, just like, bam, yeah. he would go, and, and then he would shut down for months at a time and wouldn't do anything. Um, so you, you get a sense of that. The, there's no real slow movement. It's this quirky sort of, and the second movement goes between this beautiful, naive, childlike theme to this really dark, brooding moment to quirky. It, it's, it's so rhapsodic and capricious. And then there's this almost perpetual motion last movement, but little interjections of emotion and romance. It's, um, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, the second sonata is also incredible, but this is so much more distilled and, and small scale. And he supposedly liked the second one more, but I'm, I can't complain. It doesn't get a whole lot better than this. So Schumann, yeah, he's like right below Haydn for the like greatest composer of all time in my books. Jeff Nuttall there, artistic director of the Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series and first violin of the St. Lawrence String Quartet. We'll now hear him performing part of the work he was telling us about there, Robert Schumann's Violin Sonata No. 1 in A minor, Opus 105, from 1851. This is the first movement of that sonata marked mit leidenschaftlichem Ausdruck, with passionate expression. Jeff is joined by pianist Peja Mutsievich.
Violinist Jeff Nuttall and pianist Peja Mutsievich performing the first movement of Robert Schumann's Violin Sonata No. 1 in A minor, Opus 105. That performance opened the fourth program on this year's Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series. And on the following program, number 5, audiences in Charleston's Dock Street Theater got swept away by yet another Romantic-era sonata for violin and piano. This one from a little later on in the 19th century, and from France instead of Germany. The composer... Camille Saint-Saëns. For some insights into this thrilling work, I sat down with violinist Jennifer Frouchy. Here's part of that conversation. Well, Jennifer, thanks for taking the time to speak today. My pleasure to be here. How does it feel to be performing at Spoleto Festival USA? It feels amazing, especially during um, this time where we're all kind of coming back to performing um, you know, in front of live audiences. And I've always loved Charleston. I've been coming to this this town for probably over 25 years. Only played in Spoleto uh, proper, I think, once before, and that was maybe eight or nine years ago. But it's, um, you know, I've come here, come through Charleston every few years, and it's great to be back here. And I love the city. I love walking around. I love the architecture and the trees and the people and the food. And most importantly right now, I love the music. So I'm so thrilled to be here. It is some amazing music on this year's Chamber Series. And Absolutely. congratulations on an awesome performance of the Camille Saint-Saëns Violin Sonata Number no. 1. I mean, a really exciting work. 
and not really the Saint-Saëns of, you know, the swan from Carnival of the Animals. Maybe maybe in the second movement, right? But mm-hmm. this work has some has some fire in it. Could you provide an, an overview of this yeah. piece? Well, it's a big sonata that's actually in in four movement but four movements but it's written in an interesting manner in that he through composed the first and second movement and the third and fourth movements so it's really just kind of in two parts but you know in the what 20 some minutes um, of music he really traverses so much ground there's the brooding and impassioned opening and then the really just you referred to the swan like the romantic love letters of the second movement which is just you know incredibly um, melodic and then the, th- the third movement is Peja Mijevich with whom I'm playing um, you know keeps referring to it as Tchaikovsky ballet music and it really is so balletic it's so charming and delightful and then the last movement is just all fireworks and it's um, you know, like some of his, uh, some of Saint-Saëns virtuoso music, the music that I grew up playing, like the introduction of Rondo Capriccioso and the Havanese and the third violin concerto, um, he always throws in some, you know, some virtuosic pyrotechnics. And so that's just kind of whirling dervish fast notes and, um, you know, ends with a really exciting bang because the piano and violin play all these crazy scales in unison together. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's so much passion and just, yeah, a lot lot of emotion and um, and kind of uh, physicality as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it covers a lot of ground, the sonata. I love playing it. It's not something that I learned as a student. And I was asked to play it on a program um, with Peja, actually, many years ago. And so we learned it for that program. And I've just come back to it in the last couple of years, played it, you know, maybe twice, because I'm pulled in by the, the melodic material and just kind of the on the one hand, you know, there's this this charm that that draws me to this piece, but also the most dramatic, intense points of this sonata, like what you hear in the last movement, there is so much ecstasy in the music that I get a high actually from playing it. So there's something, uh, dare I say, almost addictive about playing the sonata, like I want to keep playing (laughs) because of the feeling I get during those highs, you know. So yeah, that's a piece I love. With all that emotion coming your way, do you, do you ever have to kind of keep it in check a bit so that you can still keep your performing? You know, do the emotions ever reach a point where it's almost like, hey, my, my technique or something may be affected? Like, I feel this emotion, but I can't feel it too, too much. Yeah, that's this great question uh, because there's, you know, what you're feeling emotionally and then what you feel physically, right? And, and trying to uh, separate out those two because whatever emotions one is feeling, and also more importantly, actually, more important than what you're feeling internally is what you're trying to convey to your audience, the emotions and the, the sensibility or the character you're trying to convey. For example, there's some very intense music in, in the sonata, in the first movement and in the last movement. You want to convey that intensity, but without actually becoming physically too intense, because that, you know, to speak to your question, that does affect um, technically what you're doing if physically you're too tied up or to, to feeling too intense, then that um, can you know choke up the sound on the violin or you, know, you can start crushing the sound. So that's something that's you know been part of the process for me um, through the years of learning to be a better performer is to feel what I'm feeling, figure out how to convey that with my sound to, to, to the listener, but to keep my body at all times completely um, free and open so that I'm 
you know, able to control like a magician, you know, the, <laughs> the flow of traffic, I mean, you know, to, to really control the instrument so that I'm not allowing, yeah, the emotions um, that I might be feeling um, or the intensity of the music or, you know, sometimes the music is really relaxed, but you can't become physically too relaxed either, right? It's always kind of maintaining a certain degree of control instrumentally over what you're doing. It's part of the process of learning to be a, become a performer. You mentioned you've been playing this piece with Peja Mutsievich for a while. What's the relationship between the pianist and the violinist? Is it one of equals? Is the pianist more of a supporting role and you step out into the spotlight or is there this trade-off? Loaded question. No, I'm kidding. So, um, it's definitely, um, you know, when you get to uh, the romantic era of sonatas, you're moving to a point where in a way the piano and the violin in, in the violin sonata repertoire really take on equal roles. Whereas um, in the repertoire that precedes, you know, Saint-Saëns and, and Brahms, and there's Beethoven before that, and then Mozart, both of whom were wrote um, very uh, kind of seminal violin uh, sonatas, violin uh, piano sonatas. In those works, um, until you get to the later works of Beethoven, the piano really actually predominated. So the violin, as you go through history, if you move um, through the, the 18th century and 19th century, and this work by Saint-Saëns was written in 1885, so really at the end of the 19th century, became a process of the two instruments becoming more equal and the, and the piano becoming less dominant. So in this piece, I would say the two are really equal. You know, you trade off mel melodic uh, material. In the last movement of this particular sonata, it ends with this crazy unison between the two instruments. But before that, I think a lot of the heavy lifting is actually heavy lifting, meaning the most virtuosic writing is predominantly actually in the violin. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it is maybe a slightly more violin-centered sonata, but the two of us definitely are equal partners. I mean, like, for example, in the in the slow movement, you know, the 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 lyrical romantic second movement, um, it's largely the, the violin that's carrying the melody and the piano playing a more supportive role, but completely equal partners. Let's hear those dynamic performing partners now. Jennifer Frouchy, violin, and again at the piano, Peja Mutsievich. This is Camille Sasson's Violin Sonata Number no. 1 in D minor, Opus 75. Thank you. 
That was Camille Saint-Saëns' Violin Sonata No. 1 in D minor, Opus 75. Violinist Jennifer Fauci and pianist Pedro Mutsievich gave that stunning performance in Charleston's Dock Street Theater to conclude Program 5 of this year's Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. No easy feat to perform that work, a fact that even Camille Saint-Saëns himself recognized when he joked with his publisher that the music you just heard might be nicknamed the Hippogriff Sonata after this half-eagle, half-horse creature of the same name. The idea there being that a would-be performer would need some extraordinary, even mythical levels of skill and fast-flying abilities to make it all the way through to the end. Speaking of which, listener, you've already made it to the end of this podcast. Time flies when you're having fun, right? But the good news, there is still much more to come of the 2021 run of Spoleto Backstage. So be sure to make it easy on yourself and pounce on that subscribe button like a hippogriff or a minotaur or whatever mythical creature you prefer. That way, each time a new episode drops, it will be right there waiting for you. Again, I'm Bradley Fuller. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Unless you're as fast and flawless as Jeff or Jennifer or Peja, in that case, I don't know. Productions of chamber music from Spoleto Festival USA are made possible by Bank of America, the ETV Endowment of South Carolina, and the John Covington and Robert Lukey Fund for the Performing Arts. (laughs) 